0: A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Jansen, Rule Friesen, Dennis Lehrer and Paul Rukas, with illustrious change makers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation.
1: Conversations.
2: Well, here we are, live at IMAX Americas, and uh, this is the very first podcast we're recording, so I'm always a little bit nervous. My name is Ridi Anson with the Event Design Collective, and I'm joined today by Bobby Seredic. Am I pronouncing that correctly, yes, Bobby? That yeah? is
1: correct.
2: Okay, awesome. And Liz Hunt. Your yeah. name is much easier yes, to, to
1: pronounce. Correctly. <laughs> Excellent.
2: Well, thank you, Liz. You were just describing how you were working with Tahira and Dean mm-hmm. um, at um, Site, and you made the connection to Bobby. Can you explain a little bit how that came to be?
1: Yeah, um, it was actually in the midst of the pandemic. And I've known Bobby. Bobby actually was my first boss out of college.
2: Wow. <laughs> and so
1: we kind of have circled back and we were talking and she kind of sensed it she said, you know, I feel like you need to take this course. Um, I had a big team. I was a, a VP and I had a really big team underneath me. And, you know, it was just a lot of change. and. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to take the six-week online course, it would really help you and it was on emotional intelligence and leading with emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and it just opened my eyes to really, I mean it, it's so logical when you hear it mm-hmm. but you have to put it into practice and putting it into practice and using the tools, um, it was uh, eye-opening. And it made me uh, not only a better leader, but just in general, I feel like a better person, you know, in my life with my kids, with my family, with my friends. Um, so yeah, that's and so So
2: <laughs> Bobby, you've seen Liz evolve over time. Yes. How does that feel?
1: It feels
3: great. I mean, I and I have to say, I started out in the industry too. In my mm-hmm. 20s, I worked for marriage travel. Mm-hmm. So I was the travel director and then went on to do conference planning. Mm-hmm. And I worked for a company that did C-level mm-hmm. executive meetings, and so I got into content a lot more and I broke out on my own, started a speaker's agency, so I was representing speakers for corporate events and meetings, and then I started doing training, and one of the speakers I worked with quite a bit was an expert in emotional intelligence. Okay. And I just saw how it changed people for the better. And just like Liz's story, I mean, I saw that over and over again. So. I wanted to be part of that change Mm -hmm. and it was a time when emotional intelligence was still kind of considered woo woo more or less Uh, so it's evolved but we've you know for me when I see someone like Liz that I knew right out of college and she worked for me and she's seen me evolve as a leader and a business owner too and Mm -hmm. practicing these skill sets are so relevant and even to what you have mentioned in your book and what you talk about, just looking at human behaviors and being able to identify what is the driving emotion yeah. and how do we react to that and what, what, what are we bringing to the table that we're not able to really hear or see or look at all the variables that mm-hmm. we need to open our eyes to. So it's, it's interesting. I, I love what you're doing too. It's, it's fascinating.
2: Well, it's fascinating when people start thinking together, right? There's there's something that happens. I think that's why events are so powerful. Yeah. Um, We're actually on a mission to rid rid the world of mediocre events. And all of a sudden something overtook us from the right hand side, which was COVID, right? Which did that very thing, but it also rid the world of some of the fantastic events that should remain or should further improve or or be redesigned because of everything we went through. Um, I'm fascinated by both your stories and experiences because you you know the background of what this industry does and what it takes to be successful in this industry Uh, Bobby you you came to IMAX America here now let's say for the first time in a long time to kind of see like okay what 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 is this and you are going to be speaking here at two o'clock tell us a little bit about your first impressions here at IMAX America
3: well first of all it's from a stimulation I mean it's just there's so much to see and absorb Mm -hmm. and just being on this end, the Inspiration Hub, we sat in a, a listening lounge. The fact that we're even doing that now, that people are just taking time to let's, let's just sit and learn how to be better listeners, which will help. I mean, that's really the foundation of this industry is listening to customers, to clients, to what does someone want to achieve in an event? What What is the outcome? What is the desired change or behavior, like you said? So for me, uh, just being back to in-person, too. We we were the same as everyone else in the world. We did virtual trainings, and it's hard to, to see people's reactions. It's hard to engage. It's hard to connect when you, you're you on a virtual Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting. It's a very different experience. So mm-hmm. for me, my first experience is I, I'm impressed how large it is, and then just how they've segmented the the whole floor you know this whole design to be specialized where people could go and seek the learning and training that they're looking for or they can find what information they need everything's really laid out nicely and, it, mm-hmm. and there's an appeal and color and design too, to it so it's quite yeah. impressive
2: yeah. Liz how how, how, do, how have you experienced this edition uh, it's 2022 right we're in, 11th of October, I think today, if I'm not mistaken. Yes,
1: Um, it's great because I feel like we're back. You know, it's great to see it so full. I Mm -hmm. remember uh, before the pandemic, I feel like it wasn't as busy as this. Um, uh, I love that I can go to Morocco and then go to Canada <laughs> all in the same day. <laughs> Within a couple of steps, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I love it. I just, it's great to see people and to just be back and be able to hug someone and not have to ask, can I, is it okay if I hug you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it's just great to be back in person and, uh, and just, you know, connect. I missed it.
2: So. so. So Bobby, what do you think has happened to our emotional intelligence over the last two and a half years?
3: Well, I think some things have been really positive. I mean, we've taken time to pause a little bit, get back to some of our core values, but I also think we've, you know, we've become a little bit uh, judgmental in our ways of thinking and our ability to have more empathy and understanding to get outside of our world or our vantage point. When you think of it, like, I'm looking from my side of the bridge but I need to walk over and look from your vantage point to really understand what it feels like to be in your shoes. I only know what it feels like to be in my shoes. For me to have better skills of empathy, I think there's an opportunity there that I have I feel like it's lacking in, in many ways. And we're also really busy. People are, they've had so much change and we've gone through, Covid, the great resignation or the great reshuffle. Mm -hmm. So we're doing more with less and technology has increased at a rapid pace. So we're getting so busy, we're we're forgetting to to pause and listen, to have empathy, to really be open to that and see those are the things I think are lacking. I think some of the things I think are great is just to see how adaptable people really are I think we need to applaud i mean humans have it's it's amazing They're pretty amazing people like pretty yeah pretty when amazing. you even look at like how we did business i mean having a zoom meeting before COVID was like really you know we were it was hard it was hard to get your technical working and now it's like i could have a zoom meeting outside of outside this ballroom right now, no problem. You know, I have my yeah. phone and we've been so adaptable. So I, I applaud that. That's a real emotional intelligence competency. I think we have to continue to work on that. Be open to learning from others yeah. and not always looking from our vantage point.
2: Yeah. Liz, when you when you think about the way that you approach events in your former role, um, let's say at, at site, where incentives are actually interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, a behavior change before the event takes place right? because there is like a behavior change that needs to happen for the incentive to kick in so it's almost like a reverse type of event mm-hmm. um, now that you've seen its activities in different spaces and see what's happening across uh, here at the Innovation Hub it's obviously just day one have you had a chance to be at Smart Monday yesterday
1: no I was not actually
2: so what's, me. So, so what's interesting <laughs> is that on Smart Monday, the day before the trade show starts, not only do the exhibitors come and build up, but there's also a pretty vast programming of content that mm-hmm. Meeting Professionals International together with IMAX hosts. Uh, that program was designed using this methodology in the eighth cohort by Dale Hudson who works for IMAX. Um, and Tahiro, you mentioned before, who's also on this podcast a number of times is a certified design designer, they apply this kind of thinking with a group of people to go to that different perspective together which feels less lonely or uh, less exhausting actually it's really hard to be someone else for just one hour and focus on that perspective back maybe to you how do you think let's say those perspective changes affect you in your role today
1: well i think you know, I, what I think is really interesting, and I think what has changed in this industry, which is great, is I think that people aren't afraid to ask questions anymore. They you know, feel okay to ask questions. If they don't know something, they don't feel bad to ask and say, listen, I don't know that. You know, because we were used to that when we were doing virtual events. It was so new to us that we had to ask so many questions and we had to be okay with asking questions because before that we knew everything. I mean we, you had to know everything because that was your job. So I think um, what's changed in the new perspective is that it's okay not to know and you have people around you to teach you. So don't be afraid to ask the questions and I think this whole event design I love it because the events are becoming more robust, you know, and it's being more creative and bringing out creativity that people didn't realize they had, but in a different way. So I think that that's um, a new way and I I, I love it. And I think more and more, my old company that I was with at Unbridled, we were doing this as well and I loved it. And we would bring people in, you know, who wasn't, you know, was not an event. We would just bring someone in because anyone has a great idea, you exactly. know? And it's great to just build upon it and they feel valued in that way too.
2: So I have a question for you, Bobby. Um, one of the things we're seeing is that some of the most successful event designers are people that know nothing about events. Or maybe not know nothing, but we have a program running at 25 universities called the Event Design Institute Young Professionals Program, where people in bachelor's degrees and master's degrees actually go and design events using this methodology. They don't know how difficult it is to actually deliver these events, but when you go to them, their spirit of thinking is so unhindered Mm -hmm. that maybe they're uncolored by life experience or the pains that you might run into when you're doing events at scale or doing or not doing events. Why do you think that is?
3: They don't have preconceived judgment (laughs) yet. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even, they're not bringing it to the table really and one of the things that we talk about one of the tools of emotional intelligence is to ask questions get curious versus judgmental and I think a lot of times when we're more seasoned in our roles that's why I like to refer to myself as seasoned (laughs) (laughs) not older Uh, that we become more judgmental and we forget to be curious you know we forget to ask more questions to, to discover and I think that's part of it, that the youth, they have that. They're they're kind of a clean slate. They yeah. don't even know that that happened five years ago and that was a disaster. They don't bring all of that to the table. And I do think some of the season wisdom helps to, to really launch something that can really be delivered. And yeah. that's, that's important to have that combination.
2: Yeah. So it's also like the validation, hindsight. I think the free spirit thinking, the curiosity, the question drivenness, it's something that, you know, in our methodology, it's all-around questions, asking, but not questions between just two individuals, but a question from a facilitator to a limited group of people. Yeah. And a group of seven is in a very interesting dynamic when when the backgrounds are very diverse, or even the language, or the you know the knowledge about the event, or when it's a new event, nobody knows about the event. But the mix of people creates good event design. When it's Properly facilitated and time capped. Right, right. that's one of the things we see. Um, I'm very interested by just over across here uh, at the innovation hub, and there was a presentation by one of our uh, one of the team members of one of our certified event designers at Google, who are doing the NOI project uh, about finding you know so 20% of the population is neurodivergent and uh, creating an inclusive environment for people with. Um, with that uh, entry point is critical because if you don't feel included in a space, it's very hard to be part of a community. How, how do you think a project like that could change uh, the way that events might look in the future?
3: Do you want me to answer that first? Yeah. So, are you, let, let me clarify, mm-hmm. I, I didn't sit in that particular session so looking at ways to touch people from a global perspective or from more of I'm more introverted or I don't I don't naturally come into a big event and feel like I'm part of the crowd you know yeah and I
2: think we're all kind of on a spectrum of comfort right yeah right right right. but there's also a level of discomfort that you might have from from a neurodivergent perspective as, as they were explaining it and I I encourage people, if you haven't f- heard about it, I'm happy to include the link in, 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 in the speaker notes, as well as to your profiles, if we may so people can connect to you to ask you more questions, because yeah. they might have become curious along yeah. the road. Um, the reason I'm asking is because emotional intelligence also has to do with how you interact one-on-one, right? but how you interact in a group of people as well. as
3: yeah. And I think you have to connect first to someone, you know, you have to find that connection to them. So if you look beyond just a, you know, there's a, just kind of like what you've mapped up here, there's, there's a traditional group of believers or followers or a personality type that may be more extroverted and you, to design something for them may be very different than someone that's more introverted or doesn't feel as comfortable in that setting. So having offerings, which I think has been great about COVID, it's given us the opportunity to do things differently. Like We have the technology now to create things that are virtual. Some people learn better by recording. We do so much more with video. I yeah. podcast. podcasts. I listen yeah. to podcasts when I walk my dogs. Yeah. I, I never used to listen to podcasts. I started listening to them during COVID. Mm-hmm. But we have to be able to deliver content, I think, or an event, in a way that does meet the needs of our audience, whatever that is. So if it is this traditional setting of actually physically meeting or do we follow on with video or a podcast or or how do we reach someone and really ask the questions to meet their needs and how they they learn or absorb information. I think that would be the key to it. But we've got it. I mean, the cool thing is we've done so much in the last few years to really identify that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's all there. It's just for us not to just course correct and go back to the way things were. We could be better. We're better now. For this, even I though it was hard. <laughs> well, <laughs> Very mean, hard. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, I don't think anybody would say that the COVID period was easy, right, don't by any no, measure. Because um, no. it brought up a lot of invisible things um, that I think we all, you know, post COVID are dealing with. Now, people might hear this capsule way later, <laughs> right? You never know. I mean, yes. this is going to perpetuate. I mean, we're just talking about that generation that doesn't know a world without the internet, right? Um, who knows what's next, right? Um, and then looking back at a period like this, uh, how do you think, let's say, events can benefit from, from all of these learnings? I mean, we've learned a lot in two years. We've also had a lot of trauma, potentially. Um, how does that color the way that we look at each other or the way that you were interacting, for instance, at this event? I'm trying to experience my own behavior at an event, and I feel it's different, but I can't put my finger on it.
1: Well, I think there's so many more mediums here too, right, that you can connect with as well, but I also think through the pandemic, what I've learned is self-care, like to really also take care of yourself, you know, because this is the only self you have, and to know that, you know, take a moment to step aside. You don't need to go to every single thing there's out there, because it's, you know, just take care of yourself and you're a better person when you do that yep. and I think that's what I find different when I even when I'm going to have meet with someone they you know they're not staying up late all night they're like no I, I want to go back I want to work out I want to do what I've been doing I want to stay with my routine and I want to make sure that I'm in a good space when I meet tomorrow as well so I think self-care has really changed um, through the pandemic and i think we we push it i mean in, in here too there's so many ways that we um, promote it to people as well and i think within events we do that a lot more too i mean people are doing walks they're doing you know there's different ways to connect and different mediums that we have now that i think has completely changed the events so
2: Bobby do you think the um i mean audio is one of those things that always stands out to me for two years I was in Switzerland in my, you know, little bubble, uh, Switzerland is not a very loud country, uh, let alone my, my room where I have my office or, uh, you know, uh, the only thing that I would hear were the, my snoring dogs or, you know, my housemates, but for, for the rest it's, it's been a very quiet time for two years, except when you go outside and, you know, hear nature. And then I come to Las Vegas. <laughs> wow, what contrast, right? How, how do you think audio impacts how you feel, or how, like, what does it do to you personally?
3: Gosh, uh, well, I mean, one of the things we talk about are emotions are contagious. So mm-hmm. I think that audio has, depending on how you're receiving it, you know, if you're hearing something that is inspiring or has a beautiful sound to you, you're moved by that, or even in nature. When you get to a place where the audio in your world is, feels like it's too much or too loud or overwhelming, then it's hard to, you know, you kind of want to walk or run away at times. And Vegas tends to have a lot, (laughs) a lot of diversity here. So you can't, but... It's such an interesting place around human behavior right? that yeah. for someone like you to be able, you get to go back home and be <laughs> in your space, so why not fully absorb this while yeah. you're here? Now, if you lived here, that would probably be a little much. I don't know. I, I probably couldn't live in Las Vegas because it's, it, it's exhausting, I'm sure, after a while, but mm-hmm. also invigorating. I mean, look at how we feel, we can stay up till really late at night here. I don't, I don't do that at home. I mean, you can I
1: don't feel invigorated the next day. Yeah, I so, don't, maybe so. not early
3: morning, but there's something about it though that I think brings out some of the best things and probably some of the worst behaviors, you know? It has that combo, right? Because yeah, yeah. you feel excited and energized and all these people and, yeah. and all the entertainment and design, how can you not be moved yeah. and take that back with you?
2: And a lot of the design here is purposefully done to, you know, and by studying the anthropology of our behavior or how you feel yourself at a trade show, at the events, but also in the hotels or the casinos, or on or off strip, which are two very different concepts. <laughs> a good friend of mine, Julie Solaris, moved to Las Vegas and when I first visited his home with his family um, and also discovered other parts of Las Vegas and the surrounding area, My colleague Ruhl and I, when we arrived the next day, we deliberately stayed away from, uh, let's say, Vegas, because we come here quite regularly. (laughs) Um, And I discovered someone that was on the podcast lives here, but is also a very fanatic mountain hiker. And we love doing that. Mm -hmm. So we went out to Red Rock and, you know, spent the day in the middle of nature and just like 15, 20 minutes outside of the city, you've got the most amazing, you know, scenery and So the contrast, like you say, is not just on strip but also off strip. And I think that's something that I've started exploring more and more. To take the time before and after an event. Because you need time to maybe, well, first of all, some jet lag that you might have or (laughs) but physically disconnecting from your current world or your working world. You go into a new space, which is the event space. But you almost need like a the entry point needs to have like a
3: transition a, a transition and <laughs> right?
2: it's a it's a rite of passage from okay here's my world I go into the underworld of whatever yeah. this event is and then after the rite of passage you're at the event and then you decompress post event to kind of I compared to scuba diving I like to scuba dive I need to prepare and get in the mental state go underwater for an hour and come back up The stories that come out are never fully true, (laughs) right? Nobody knows. That's a great analogy, right? But then the the fellow divers sitting around the campfire telling all the war stories about they saw underwater—that kind of excitement is what I compare events to as well. But I feel I feel like now post event, I need more pre and post decompression time, and I've now built it into the events I go to. It also means it takes much more time. When I choose to go to an event to buffer my time before and after to be able to process what I experienced.
1: Well and I think more people are are doing that and saying they have to do that because back then it was I'm going from IMAX, I'm going to meet a client, I have to go here, I have to travel here, but when I'm talking to some of my um, former colleagues, they're saying you know what, I said no to that trip because I need to go home, I need to decompress, be with my family and then i can i can go again yeah. and it's interesting to see it's that
2: it becomes little cubicles of activity that are different yeah. right yeah do you think uh, Bobby, that uh, yeah?
3: yeah i would agree with that and the other thing i think when you come to these types of events and even when i do like a full day training or i'm i'm speaking it's a lot on you're you're so on that you can't keep that going so you have to transition even from something like this you may go home and be quiet because you've just been on for multiple days. So I think that's part of it, that rest and recovery, yeah. just like what Liz said. So yeah.
2: Some of those old hard drives I used to have on my computer that like you need to defragment, right? Yeah. There's yeah. so much stuff yeah. that's like scattered and you need to like reorganize your your thoughts. And, and I almost feel like we have a responsibility like out of self-care, like you were saying, to, to now include that in our, you know, having travel time is good for that as uh-huh. well. I can imagine if you live here and you come in and out just on the day and you go back to your family and, um, or yesterday I was at a celebration for the events industry council and a good friend of mine got inducted he brought his wife and two small kids from Poland and like spending time with the family here whilst trying to go to a trade show and getting an award and yeah. there's a, that mixing those two worlds yeah. is I think quite difficult it's very challenging it is uh, it's to, a,
1: to turn it on and turn it off it's like exhausting like just you saying that exhausts me. <laughs> so I, I can I can relate to that, but it's I I think. But that's, what, that's the, the same thing, too. There's so many more ways we can decompress, like the podcast. I never listened to podcasts before, either. And now with the that pandemic, that's how I decompress. You know, I listen to a podcast. I can sit there and, you know, I'm also a type A personality, so I love to be organized. And honestly, <laughs> cleaning is my <laughs> relaxation.
2: It's your defragmentation <laughs> oh, time. I, yes. I need yeah. it to
1: everything in its place and I can relax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just these different ways, I think, that you have found to relax and, you know, know who you are right because you had a lot of time with yourself in the pandemic to figure that out but yeah
2: so bobby when you go back after imax because you have a presentation at two yes um what 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 do you expect from that presentation what 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 will people be getting from what you presented to apply
3: Well, I always, before I go into any presentation, my big mantra is that I just want to impact at least one person in a positive way to make a shift or a change. And when I, you know, I have about 30 minutes to present, so it's a short amount of time, but I I want to leave people with a better understanding of what emotional intelligence is and how it impacts them. And I want to leave some practical tools and tips that they can use in their workplace, and their personal lives, a couple at least for them to take away and and we do explain at a high level you mentioned this the brain science of tapping into not just our fight or flight or emotional part of our brain which which takes over at times but how do we manage our emotions so that we can be in that prefrontal cortex that our thinking brain so we can be more productive and and when we are in a workplace or in an event that we're we're present we're focused we're at our best and we're not sabotaging that because some thought gets into our brain or we we feel some type of emotional trigger in some way and then we can't be our best so teaching emotional intelligence is has bottom line results for sure and that's what i want people to really understand it's not a a lot of people think it's just the heart of empathy and listening and it, it's a combo it's it's really having a heart of empathy and then an edge of accountability so having that combo is really what emotional intelligence is so it was a long winded answer no I, <laughs> I'm, I'm
2: fascinated by it I'm turning back to Liz because yeah. she she went through your program yeah and so when it's I'm a graduate exactly you said so and then she
3: joined us so it's, like yeah
2: and, and, and the heart of empathy you said and an edge of accountability correct I like that Liz, how did that affect your behavior after going through this program? Um,
1: a lot. Uh, I I learned how to listen, which is weird to say, but I really learned to be more present and you know listen to what that person's saying and not thinking what am I going to say next. You know, so that was something that I did. the The tools, the tools are great. There really are these tools that I still use: the stop, breathe, ask. Um, It has helped and I had a team of, you know, 20 people underneath me and I think just having that one-on-one time with them and listening and asking the right questions um, Was huge because they felt heard and you know, usually as a manager, you're almost a therapist half the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It really is so That's really what I brought back and I think more of a calm, you know, because before I went through the the course I just felt like I was angry I don't know why and that wasn't me and I told her I'm like I don't know who I am anymore so it kind of brought me back to um, be a better person really and a a better leader
2: and the edge of accountability how did you hold yourself accountable to that
1: Um, just being accountable and saying if it's You know I missed that or that's right or I shouldn't have done that you know I think as a leader it's okay to show that you're wrong or you make mistakes and I think that's a big part of being a leader and showing that you are human and that it's okay if your team makes mistakes too you learn from your mistakes so I think that was a a big thing as well to teach the team so you know you're going to make a mistake so don't worry about it don't be afraid.
2: But bobby do you think people are more human after the COVID period have we become have we changed somehow do you think
3: i think many of us have changed uh some for the better <laughs> and maybe not <laughs> i think we're we're human beings you know we're we're designed to feel before we think we're all unique i wish that's the thing about leadership and i think the important thing about emotional intelligence is you can't treat everyone the same you've kind of you've got to get in there and figure out what motivates that person what inspires that person how do i collaborate with them better and and we talk about that in emotional intelligence it's your your iq and your resume that gets you in the door but it's what gets you promoted are your ei skills and that's that inspiring motivating collaborating communicating having empathy listening That's really what's going to get you there. So I think the more we do that, the better off we are. I think majority of people took a pause during COVID and they grew in some kind of self-awareness. They either grew and said, I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like what I'm seeing. Or I want to do something different. or I want to be better. I want to be better than what I was before. And I want to do things better. So I think there's a lot of positive.
2: Curious question. Has the way that you deliver your program significantly changed over time?
3: Yeah, actually, we have changed. And one thing that COVID brought to us, which Liz is really, she got to experience and she's on board with, is that our delivery of training is more experiential. So we used to go in and do a, you know, a one hour, a half day, a full day, multiple day training programs in a meeting room setting or some type of live event. And then people went home or back to their work, but we didn't know if they really could demonstrate a learned skill set. Did they really make a shift or change? But with our online programs, which the six week one is we hold people accountable to, okay, you've learned this, now go practice it in a real work setting and come back and report how did that, how did how is that going. And then we have these video components that we utilize that are so cool. So we teach you a tool and then we, we actually have actors that come up with a video of a challenge or a problem that you would have in the workplace. And then you are put in a hot seat And you have to use your tools you learn and respond in a video. Mm -hmm. And then you get coaching feedback on that. And then we've also partnered with improv actors out there because a lot of actors were out of work during COVID, right? (laughs) Found a couple actors, wanted to try to create some gig economy for actors. So we created this, our final project, our capstone to our six-week program is you have to go into a performance review with an improv actor, and you have to use the tools you learned in the course. So you go in, the improv actor is reading you. They're hilarious. I mean, they can really roll with your character. But they're someone that, you know, they. Re- this is your direct report, and you have to give them this feedback. We give them the criteria. You've got to use your tools. And it's all recorded, and then you get coaching feedback on it. What a deal changer. I mean, people have to show up. And people are like, I, I've i had seasoned leaders. I mean, executives are like, I was really nervous. I got in there. I thought I wouldn't be nervous and <laughs> I was being recorded in that improv actor, you know? So I feel like we're better in our training because we're using technology just like what you're doing. You know, using both. We're not going back to, let's just go back to the way things were. Let's do it better. You know, and let's do a hybrid.
2: And I think becoming more comfortable with those tools as well. Yeah. Out of curiosity, I was was curious to know. So do you work in cohorts? So is it individuals going through the program? Or do people see each other's performances? And or is it very like...
3: We have groups of um, 30 to 35 is is kind of the groups for the six-week program that run. They can run multiple. We do have leaderboards. And we have a like it's called yellow dig and we've used other shared platforms but it's almost like a Facebook for you to share what oh I I just learned the stop breathe ask tool I applied it at work this is what happened so you can share on those and then you have leaderboards to see you know here's a good example of someone who did a video recording and we put it up and show everyone but
1: so that's why I liked it because it was six weeks so you could use those tools I mean I would go to I would be um, going to the office or on a Zoom call and I'm sitting here like waiting, like, oh gosh, I want to use this tool. What's, what's this What's this person going to say to me? Because you actually are putting it into action, which was fun. You know, I loved it. And then I came back when you talked to that group and you can kind of relate to each other about it. So, And then the videos are really great. And we, we've upgraded our video as well. We have AI capabilities now too. So... When the video recording is done, it'll say how many times you blinked. If you're going too fast, if you use too many words, you know, and that's kind of an instant thing too. And you can do it in the very beginning of the course, or do it at the end to see how you've changed. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, so it's it's super fun because it's interactive and it's gosh, it's only about you know 60 minutes to 90 minutes a week. You know, It's really not that long, um, but you can do more continued education. But it was fun because I think as a leader, you don't get a lot of feedback, right? So you're not used to getting feedback and you don't know if you're doing it, right? So this is what was great as I was getting feedback sometimes not always the best feedback because you really do a a 360 it's like a big mirror oh gosh yeah it's the first thing is a 360 so you're really looking at yourself first and what your peers and everyone else thinks about you and then then you kind of have to work from there but it's great to get that feedback
2: So what you didn't hear in this recording was that we just had a battery flaw on the technology that Liz <laughs> was talking about Actually you picked this up. Um, and you see how technology can be so disruptive, right? Because yep. we're in a train of thought, and all of a sudden, we, not yep. because something happened to us, but something stopped happening to us, which was right. the recording. All of a sudden, we're like heightened awareness, different space. Anyway, but you're
1: adapting. Well, that's it. We need, we,
2: need to, we need to know that, right? Or we need to press a different button. And we learn that as you go along. Uh-huh. People will experience that. That was and like in our
1: Zoom call, you know, when you first started doing Zoom. And everyone's, I don't know. You're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> you know, all those exactly. different things.
2: And look at the brand of this thing. It's actually called Zoom. Zoom right? uh-huh. so <laughs> it's actually a, you know, podcast recording device for on-site. And they it's called a Zoom probably without, you know, um, Having any relation to the other tool that we were just talking about. Uh, Liz and Bobby, I want to thank you for being on the on stage part. I'm going to play a little jingle. I have a request. Would you allow us to have a conversation year plus one? Meaning, next year at the same time, if you're at IMAX America, <laughs>
1: yes
2: or if you're not at IMAX American, we're going to do a Delta conversation. Oh, I love right? it. And I do need to know one thing in order to do that. And that's the question that I normally start off with, but now I'll do it at the end. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Bobby. What's currently on your horizon of change, if you look at the next year?
1: Oh, gosh.
3: For me, the next year, we are really growing and expanding. And, you know, I think the business, the way I looked at leadership development and training around emotional intelligence, it was more what, what we could deliver in a from delivering live training programs that was kind of my lens or perspective yep. and going through covid we've designed a whole new suite of offerings mm-hmm. that are in our online programs so mm-hmm. for us to really we're launching a new LMS that has all of this so for me it's to positively impact people and make change for the better mm-hmm. in relation to learning these EI skills let's let's Everyone should have an opportunity to learn these skill sets and to take them to heart. Be more self-aware. Be better leaders out there. Right. And that would be my goal. So uh-huh. I feel like we have a whole new, and that's why Liz is brought on to our team too, is really to expand that our online version
1: of emotional intelligence training.
3: Awesome,
2: Liz. Your horizon of change for the next year. What is that? Look like?
1: <laughs> well, Bobby calls this my midlife crisis right now because <laughs> I i left the industry i moved from denver to iowa it's a good thing though Mm -hmm. everyone looks at me like they're crazy when i say that it's really a good thing (laughs) so there's a lot on my horizon and there's a lot of corn too but um (laughs) so (laughs) i think um for me you know it's this lms and getting that going but to be trained to be trained in emotional intelligence i think that is something that i'm really excited about and um, it takes a while to get trained and certified, so I guess for me, if we're talking next year, I hope I'm the one that's speaking you know, at the conference, and that is really on my horizon and my goal.
2: Awesome. So I think these are two very tangible horizons of change. You're probably thinking also way beyond, but sometimes one year out can be helpful. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll see some of the podcasts labeled year plus one because the first ones since publishing the book uh, in 2020, early 2022, not 21. Um, we are now using podcasts as a way to um, have people enter the arena for something that we call the EDC Mastermind um, program, which is for people that are certified but have been practitioners. But a public audition on the podcast is part of that. And so, um, as you're listening to this, you'll see some different characteristics. This, this is an edition from live from IMAX America. Um, we're inviting you for the year plus one, so let's see if we can make that happen. We will make it happen if, it's, uh, if, it's, uh, if it comes from our end. Um, and we'll see if these realities will come to play. If people want to know more about your program and how to sample that or maybe see what the tools are, where should they go?
3: Our website is SWIEI.com. And and we also have the website Mm EI-learn.com. So EI is emotional intelligence. EI-learn.com.
2: And that's where you can connect to Bobby and Liz. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and designing to change. And we look forward to good luck on the presentation this afternoon. Uh, and by the time people will be listening to this, that will have happened. And you could review what you recorded <laughs> together. It's very public, right? So it's not a secret. Uh, but thanks for being on our podcast and appreciate you uh, coming to IMAX and contributing.
1: Thank you.
0: This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.